Also by Dan Millman. The Peaceful Warrior Saga Way of the Peaceful Warrior Sacred Journey of the Peaceful Warrior The Journeys of Socrates Peaceful Warrior The Graphic Novel Guidebooks The Four Purposes of Life Wisdom of the Peaceful Warrior Everyday Enlightenment The Life You Were Born to Live No Ordinary Moments The Laws of Spirit Body Mind Mastery Living on Purpose Inspiration Bridge Between Worlds with Doug Childers Children's Books Secret of the Peaceful Warrior Quest for the Crystal Castle Also by Sierra Prasida Creative Lives, Portraits of Lebanese Artists. An H.J. Kramer book. Published in a joint venture with New World Library. Editorial Office, Administrative Office, H.J. Kramer Incorporated. New World Library Po Box 108214 Pamaran Way Tiburon, California 94920 Novano, California 94949. Copyright Copyright 2013 by Dan Millman and Sierra Prasida Millman. Page 125, Lyrics from the Windmills of Your Mind, from the Thomas Crown Affair. Words by Alan and Marilyn Bergman. Music by Michelle Legrand. Copyright Copyright 1968, Renewed, by United Artists Music Company, Incorporated. All rights controlled and administered by EMU Catalog Incorporated. Publishing, and Alfred Music, Print. All rights reserved. All rights reserved. This book may not be reproduced in whole or in part, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means m-electronic, mechanical, or other m-without written permission from the publisher, except by a reviewer, who may quote brief passages in a review. Text designed by Tona Pierce Myers. Library of Congress cataloging in publication data is available. First printing, October 2013 ISBN 978-1932073652. Printed in Canada on 100% post-consumer waste recycled paper. New World Library is proud to be a gold-certified environmentally responsible publisher. Publisher certification awarded by Green Press Initiative. Worldwideweb.greenpressinitiative.org. 10987654321. As Halley's Comet streaked across the night sky, Samuel Langhorn Clemens was born. Years later, after making a reputation for himself under the pen name Mark Twain, he declared with characteristic audacity that he would die only after he'd seen Halley's Comet once more. On April 20, 1910 M-74 years after his birth M- that comet reappeared. The very next day, Sam died. Soon after, a journalist visited Hannibal, Missouri, and spoke to some of the author's old cronies, one of whom remarked, Heck, we all knew the same stories, as Sam did M-We just never bothered to write M-Down. We wrote this book for all those who bothered to write M-Down. And for Joy, who connects the dots between us. Contents. Forward by Terry Brooks Prologue, Your Story, Our Story About This Book Your Questions, Our Answers. Beginning Introduction Dan. Finding My Way Sierra, The Other Side of Anxiety. Dream Introduction Dream a little dream your stickiest idea objective, define your story get to know thyself dreaming in dialogue your ideal reader what, if ellipsis points? Dreaming on deadline. Draft Introduction Objective, tell your story who is your storyteller? Sense and sensibility begin with what you know Sierra how to listen how to read writing books writing as a solitary act Dan, the will to write permit yourself to write badly first draft, first layer. Develop introduction the missing links what trumps talent Dan, the cycles and layers of learning your master metaphor Sierra, never surrender objective, follow the golden thread allegiance to story your voice, your persona questions, help us help you, when the world becomes your teacher. Refine introduction no bad writing, only bad timing creative destruction objective, choose the right words questions, more to ask early readers working with an editor trust your gut Sierra, how I write now Dan, my final draft. Share introduction objective, move your readers your book in brief handling rejection the nine sale gauntlet self publishing pros and cons marketing your book m dash and yourself Sierra, sharing on the web Dan, reflections on the writing life. Epilogue, your writing career parting reminders acknowledgements about the authors. Forward. The book, Before You, written by Dan Millman and his daughter Sierra Prasida, a published author in her own right, shows how to develop and refine the way you think about and approach your writing, and outlines how to accomplish the goals you have set for yourself. 
Through a series of questions and well-developed answers, father and daughter look separately and together at what they have discovered about their own writing and the writing of others. Much of what they suggest about how to become a better writer centers on determined, committed, and organized effort. They remind us that the quality of our daily life and action is reflected in the writing we produce. In the Creative Compass, Dan and Sierra offer advice on all aspects of the writing life. From the first glimmerings of an idea to the completion of a polished piece from dreams of seeing your work in print to the reality of being published from feeling lost to finding a way m it's all here. Thoughtful, thorough, and practical in its application, this is an important work on the creative process, and on the craft, business, and magic of writing. Read it through. Decide for yourself. You won't regret it. M-Terry Brooks. Prologue, your story, our story. The only end of writing is to enable the reader better to enjoy life, or better to endure it. M-Samuel Johnson. You may not have realized it yet, but you're a storyteller. Whether you write fiction or non-fiction, whether you make films, speak to large crowds, care for children, or work at an office M-Every day, you swap stories with family, friends, colleagues, and even strangers. Few of us would ever think to call ourselves storytellers. Yet we all take a sweet, deep pleasure in telling good stories, some of them true. Like this one, not so very long ago, a young girl showed her father something she'd written, a part of herself, upon which he lavished the same attention that he gave to his own published work. Even as she herself began to publish in newspapers, magazines, and books, she continued to show her writing to him. Soon she began to critique his work in turn, and mentorship evolved into a collaboration that balanced his experience and perspective with her energy and ingenuity. That collaboration led to spirited conversation about what it means to make one's own way as a storyteller and writer, and to a partnership, as father and daughter became co-authors. In this book we share with you an adaptable approach to any creative project, grounded in a cycle of five universal stages, dream, draft, develop, refine, and share. No matter your level of experience, you'll find something about this cycle's basic structure familiar. We are all intuitively aware that works of invention begin with an idea and emerge from ritual and labor. Yet it remains mysterious how a finished book, for instance, could have started as a draft, or a full-length symphony from a simple melodic phrase. As members of an audience, we usually reach for words like talented, genius, or brilliant, even miraculous, to describe transformations that we can't witness and don't understand. But the key to such transformation lies in a dynamic attitude toward dreaming, a layered approach to drafting, and, most of all, in distinguishing the fourth stage, refine, from the third, which revolves around what we call development. You'll learn how to conceive, begin, and stick with exciting new projects. The develop stage is the middle act in a cycle that repeats with each project and that you may return to more than once, before you complete each project, like a wheel within a wheel. Development is where the magic happens and, because we are not magicians, we have no qualms about sharing the secrets of our trade with you. It's your trade as well, after all. As you read on, you'll learn how to conceive, begin, and stick with exciting new projects. You'll find your way in conversation with yourself, fellow writers, early readers, characters, and the world at large. It won't be one so-called best way, and most likely not the way you first seized upon, but rather the way that you determine, over time and trial, best serves you and your creative work. As you read on, you'll dream of new ways to develop both your work and yourself. You'll learn how to surmount obstacles, on and off the page, by drawing upon what we call master metaphors, experiences that can make you believe in your own untapped potential. Woodrow Wilson once said, I use not only all the brains I have, but all I can borrow. After his example, we supplement our own experience with sage advice from Chena Achib, Isaac Asimov, Terry Brooks, Chuno Diaz, Jennifer Egan, Albert Einstein E.M. Forster, Marilyn French, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Elizabeth Gilbert, Tezo Ishiguro, Hajin, Carl Jung, Mary Carr, Rudyard Kipling, Madeleine Langle, Lila Lalamy, John LeCare, Spike Lee, David Morrill, Tony Morrison, Sylvia Plath, Konstantin Stanislavski, John Steenbeck, Henry David Thoreau, Mary Heaton Vorse, and many more writers. 
the five stages apply equally to narrative and expository writing. It's no accident that the experiences of so many writers and thinkers resonate with the model presented here M-We've identified and described the five stages rather than inventing them. These stages also captured our own process in writing this book. The five stages apply equally to narrative and expository writing. In writing about storycraft, we articulate and explore a set of foundational values with wide relevance, including purpose, clarity, coherence, brevity, accuracy, sensitivity, and ethics. Whatever wisdom we ourselves have to share comes directly from what Socrates might have called the examined life of dash and select chapters. We include personal narratives, showing how our approaches have evolved and continue to do so. Over the years, we've written novels, non-fiction books, works of memoir, and articles for print and the web. We've edited manuscripts in many genres and taught writing seminars and classes. And we've also achieved mastery in seemingly unrelated fields M-One of us is a former world champion gymnast, and the other is proficient in Arabic M-Which provides us each with our own master metaphor, as well as insights into the power of process, the value of effort over time, and the essential interconnectedness of creative disciplines. We draw upon our own experience to offer practical, concrete advice on writing, editing, and 21st century publishing. You can benefit from this counsel regardless of whether you approach our shared practice as a beloved pastime or seek a fulfilling career. In working together on this book, we honored the part of writing that is inherently collaborative. We drafted chapters individually. Then we edited each other's work to create a single voice, one that invokes that internal voice we've come to value whenever we seek guidance or encouragement. In the pages of this book, you'll hear that voice calling you to write your own way from inspiration to publication. We wish you good journeys. About this book. The Creative Compass guides your progress through a cycle of five universal stages as you advance toward your creative goals. Awareness of these stages equips you to navigate challenges with greater ease and to take advantage of opportunities in writing and life that you may not have recognized before. At the dream stage, a sticky idea calls you on a quest, and you set out to slay your own dragons. At the draft stage, you produce those early layers of writing that form your first draft. At the develop stage, a demanding middle act, you shape, cut, and rewrite draft after draft until your sentences and paragraphs anchor a coherent series of resonant ideas. At the refined stage, you seek comments from readers and editors, as you distill your text down to an essence in which every word counts. At the share stage, you choose the most appropriate mode of publication, depending on your aims and the readiness of your manuscript. For your convenience, this book has a linear structure, yet moving from one stage to the next may also mean doubling back and revisiting earlier stages as necessary. Each stage further revolves around one objective that defines a pivotal task. Dream, define your story draft, tell your story. Develop, follow the golden thread refine, choose the right words share, move your readers. Would you like to become more inspired and disciplined? Are you seeking your true voice on the page? Do you want to know how to sharpen your instincts and acquire more meaningful experience? Read on. Your questions, our answers. You can best understand the five stages by reading this book in its entirety. But we are presenting this index up front and in an fact format so you may jump directly to the chapters listed below each question that address your most pressing concerns. After you complete the book, you can also revisit this index to remind yourself that many others share your questions, hopes, and goals. I want to write, but I can't seem to find the time or space. How can I become more inspired, motivated, and disciplined? Dream a little dream get to know thyself then, the will to write writing as a solitary act. I journal often. Will it help my writing? Get to know thyself Sierra, how I write now. Writing in school made me anxious, so I wrote as little as possible. How can I possibly become a writer? Then, finding my way Sierra, the other side of anxiety, permit yourself to write badly. What can I do to find my voice on the page? Who is your storyteller? Your voice, your persona. I'm feeling blocked. What should I do? Your stickiest idea permit yourself to write badly. How do I know if I'm talented? If I'm not, should I bother trying? 
Sweat Trump's Talent Sierra, Never Surrender. I've read other books on writing, but I don't feel that my writing has changed. What else can I do? How to read writing books. I find outlining difficult. What else can I do to help prepare me to write? Dreaming in dialogue what, if ellipsis points? Question mark. I've studied books on craft, but my first drafts lack clear conflict, my characters seem shallow, and my language feels flat. What am I doing wrong? Get to know thyself first draft, first layer no bad writing, only bad timing. Why does my writing seem so different from published books? First draft, first layer the missing link. I want to write a popular book like The Hunger Games. How can I learn to do that? Your stickiest idea your ideal reader. Sense and sensibility first draft, first layer. When should I seek feedback and from whom? Questions, help us help you questions, more to ask early readers working with an editor. How can I possibly make all the cuts my first readers have recommended? Aren't I mutilating my story? Allegiance to story creative destruction. How will I know, when I'm done writing? Dan, my final draft. Agents repeatedly rejected my manuscript. Should I rewrite or move on? Handling rejection. Should I submit to a publisher or self-publish? Self-publishing pros and cons the nine-sale gauntlet. Since I have no interest in publishing, my family says my writing is a waste of time. Are they right? Get to know thyself your master metaphor den, reflections on the writing life. Everyone publishes every day. Aren't we all authors now? Sierra, sharing on the web. My agent loves my third chapter, my editor hates it. Who's right? Trust your gut. I finally had a book published. Can I quit my day job? Marketing your book and dash and yourself epilogue, your writing career. Create your own method. Don't depend slavishly on mine. Make up something that will work for you. But keep breaking traditions, I beg you. M-Constant in Stanislavski. Introduction. As we prepare to embark with you on this journey through the five stages, we share memories of our own beginning. We each felt a desire to tell stories, before we developed any sense of how to do so. Like all writers, we needed to dream, before we could draft. In these first two memoir chapters, and in the chapters that follow, we relate how insights derived from our life experiences have transformed our work as writers. Our trials may reflect your own, and we write, so that you can share in the rewards of our labor. We are no longer beginners, yet we begin again and again continuously propelled forward by shared love of words and stories. Dan, finding my way. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. M-Yogi Berra. I was upside down again. Not surprising, since I spent a good deal of my childhood that way, swinging like Tarzan from ropes or monkey bars, jumping from our roof wearing a makeshift parachute, or tumbling on a trampoline. Like my athletic dad, I felt more at home climbing a tree than sitting in a classroom. I enjoyed reading but showed no other signs of literary talent or inclination. Years would pass, before the world would turn me right side up and I would find my way to writing. In the meantime, I caught an occasional glimpse of the future, my ninth grade English teacher, Ivan Smith, A.K.A. Ivan the Terrible, required us to write a short story each week m-precisely two pages, immaculately typed, with the right hand margin a nearly perfect vertical line, long, before typewriters could do so automatically. Forced to edit every line to fit, I had to choose a shorter or longer word with the same meaning, which demanded an inventiveness I hadn't known I possessed. For the first time, I struggled to tell stories on paper. In an early example of fan fiction, most of my stories resembled plots from the Twilight Zone. Apart from that class, a creative peak in an otherwise indistinguished academic career, my preference for athletics over scholarship became a self-fulfilling prophecy. My first semester at Up Berkeley landed me on academic probation M-A wake-up call that propelled me into survival mode. Applying an athlete's work habits to my studies for the first time, I earned high grades in my second semester and would maintain them for the rest of my college years. But my attitude toward the classroom hadn't truly changed M-I found. Essay assignments and poetry analysis tedious and confusing. My earlier creative writing had faded into a memory. Achievement in gymnastics dominated the foreground of my life, as I won national and then world championship titles. 
As I turned in my final assigned paper, the thought struck me, I can now write whatever I want. During my senior year at Berkeley, while volunteer coaching at the local YMCA and instructing at gymnastics camps and clinics, I discovered that I enjoyed teaching. Then, in my last few weeks of college, I made a pivotal connection between teaching and writing. As I turned in my final assigned paper, the thought struck me, I can now write whatever I want and maybe someday I'll write something worth reading. I had no idea what that something might look like, but writing now represented a way of connecting with others. Soon after, a magazine advertisement caught my eye, Bennett Cerf, one of the founders of Random House, had created a correspondence course called the Famous Writer's School, with the tagline we're looking for people who like to write. Acting on impulse and faith, and committing most of my meager savings, I signed up. I threw myself into the course, drawing upon years of training in gymnastics and martial arts, with their emphasis on practice, endurance, and mastering the fundamentals. I mailed in each assignment and, a week later, received red pencil edits that helped me improve my work. Writing remained difficult, but it became an immersive pastime, generating a state of deep concentration that I'd experienced only in sport. Flow. The Zone. Moments of silence, moments of truth. Then life intervened, marriage. The birth of my first child. The search for a career, or at least a day job. After finding a position, as men's gymnastics coach at Stanford University, I sat down at my typewriter early each morning, stared at the blank page, and dreamed up instructive articles that I then submitted to Gymnast Magazine. I later earned the title of contributor, my only compensation. About a year later, while jogging around the Stanford campus on a hot summer's day, an idea came to me, if the purpose of a fever is to heat up the body and kill unfriendly bacteria or viruses, could an exercise like running create an artificial fever to support the immune system? Some research confirmed my hunch, so I wrote an article titled Let's Catch Jogging Fever. A few weeks later, a health magazine sent me a check for $100. I had become a professional freelance writer. Seven more years would pass, before I earned another dime from my writing efforts. After four years, as a Stanford coach, I accepted a position on the faculty of Oberlin College in the Physical Education Department. Caught up once more in college life, I dreamed far more than I drafted. But, in hindsight, those years at Oberlin were some of the most important in my writing life. For three years, I taught and studied martial arts practiced yoga and meditation, and traveled around the world on a grant from the college. I eventually moved back to California, divorced, and later married again. All that life experience gave me something I wanted to share, but it hadn't yet taken any clear shape. Meanwhile, those articles I'd written for the gymnastics magazine had formed a thick stack on my desk. One afternoon, I glanced at it and thought, that looks almost like a book manuscript. Until that moment, it had never occurred to me that I might write an entire book. Until that moment, it had never occurred to me that I might write an entire book. Soon after, I began work on an untitled manuscript that would shapeshift many times over the next few years, out of the realm of physical training and into the arena of personal and spiritual growth. I remember buying a fresh ream of paper, as I walked to the UC Berkeley Women's Athletic Department to interview for a coaching position in the early spring of 1978. Four months later, by the time the athletic director finally offered me the job, I'd turned that ream into a draft of the book I titled Way of the Peaceful Warrior M-Beginning a Decades-Long Roller Coaster of a Ride that continues today, more than 30 years and 16 books later. The winding path I followed, since childhood remains mysterious, more improvisational than strategic M-for example, as improbable as it may seem, I made up my world championship trampoline routine in the moment. And on the fly, one move at a time, up in the air, while upside down. It seems that our writing lives, no less than any athletic feats, are stories of magical realism. We don't find a career in writing. It finds us once we make the choice to write, and then choose it again, day by day. The decades of work that followed my beginning brought a degree of wisdom appreciated only in retrospect, building on an amalgam of life experience, passion, labor, timing, and chance. Where it may end is anybody's guess and none of my business. Sierra, the other side of anxiety.
Our fears are a treasure house of self-knowledge, if we explore them. M. Merrill in French. I saw floating colors during the in-class essay, though I don't remember Gatsby's green light among them. I can still call to mind the tension of that sophomore year English final in 1996. I'm seated in that chair, the pencil tight and slippery in my hand, as it scribbles in the blue examination book, but I'm also standing behind my younger self. It's just the beginning, I want to say and dash I can see, that now. Instead, I slip fully into that moment. What I experienced then, I still want to understand, the space of the high-ceilinged cafeteria seems to hunch over me, as I hunch over the table, intermittently aware of the persistent scratching of other pencils. I've read Fitzgerald's novel carefully, underlining whole paragraphs, filling up the margins with notes. Nonetheless, about halfway through the exam, I feel the bottom drop out from under me. I've rewritten and rubbed out the same line so many times, it seems, as though the eraser will soon punch through the paper M-dash and the specter of all the remaining empty pages looms up at me and turns the mundane world of final exams into a smeared kaleidoscope of flowing colors. Breath sweeping through me in gusts, I drop my pencil and leave the exam, sobbing. I knew so little then and wanted so much. I guess that's what we mean, when we talk about beginning. I now look back on that day, from a distant mountaintop, as the pinnacle of my angst. Never again would anxiety overwhelm me so publicly, but overwhelm me it did, behind closed doors, despite the steps I took toward it often dash what I might, in those days, have called my process. I knew so little then and wanted so much. I guess that's what we mean, when we talk about beginning. Process then meant strict self-control. If I lost control, I believed, I might also lose the ability to write, to express what I wanted, to move forward in life. Armed against that possibility, in the days leading up to a writing session, I permitted myself to read no book apart from the one assigned, so as to thoroughly focus my mind. It was a painful sacrifice, since I loved to read and would otherwise have taken refuge in books of my own choosing. I drew up elaborate outlines, studded with textual excerpts and notes that I'd transcribed. I spent up to an hour alone in my room m the only place I could write m-agonizing over just the right title. I'm sure I didn't actually collapse in tears during every writing session, but it happened often enough that I remember it. I also remember what followed, I found my way into the piece. I drafted and revised it. And when I finished, relieved and exhilarated, the writing felt like mine, even though the forces that created it never did. Too quickly, however, those good feelings on the other side of anxiety receded into the past, and the possibility of failure continued to claim my present and the future. Failure, at the time, meant nothing so trivial as a bad mark, but the total collapse of the self. It's no wonder that, by the time I graduated from high school, I wanted nothing more to do with writing essays. Yet I also knew that writing mattered to me. I'd spent my leisure hours doing it. I edited the school newspaper and contributed to the literary magazine. I wrote news stories, features, film reviews, and astrology forecasts. A monologue I'd written in middle school had been published into anthologies. In my senior year of high school, I took a playwriting class and wrote a one-act play that won the grand prize in a national contest. Is it any wonder that I majored in history, wanting to write about world events and people, and that I later went to journalism school? What changed me, however, was not journalism school, though its rewards were many, but writing all the time. I enrolled in graduate school with the fervent, mostly secret hope that deadlines would force me to deal with the enduring anxieties of the present. What changed me, however, was not journalism school, though its rewards were many, but writing all the time. The more pieces I wrote, the less each individual piece meant in itself. The more time I spent writing, the more comfortable I became with how much each individual piece did matter during that sacred period in which I worked on it. And over time, I revised my own process in the same way I would a story. All along, driven by my own stubborn desire to continually advance, I'd been learning how to revisit a piece with new eyes, as though from a different slant of self, so I could then rewrite what had seemed just right each previous time. With each new layer of work, new layers of words accumulated and extraneous layers fell away, like waves flowing in and out. 
I served the story, and process finally served me. Not everything has changed, behind one wall of my childhood room lie cardboard and plastic boxes replete with old assignments. On my computer, I keep drafts of everything. Somewhere I still have that in-class essay that I eventually went back and finished writing. I didn't know, for a long time, why I held on to them, papers that so little resemble what I enjoy reading or what I now want to write. Now, though, I think I understand. I keep those pages, because they mean everything and nothing, because I loved them and hated them for exactly that reason, and because they were the beginning of dash but then again, so is every fresh page. The human mind, like the universe itself, contains the seeds of many worlds. M-Lauren Easily. Introduction. As the first of five stages, dream becomes the royal road to story. In the opening chapter, you'll learn why you need to permit yourself to dream so that you can generate an idea that matters to you over time M-what we call your stickiest idea. You'll prepare yourself to draft by undertaking the primary objective of the dream stage, when you cultivate that idea and define your story. You'll bring your dreams down to earth by mentally sorting through and noting down elemental decisions about plot, character, story world, and setting. As you get to know thyself, you'll become more capable of recognizing whether your creative process actually serves you and how to revise it, if it doesn't. To that end, we recommend dreaming in dialogue m a simple conversational technique that reveals the perceptive questioner within yourself. This technique may help you identify your ideal reader and genre and connect with the appropriate audience for your work. You can test the extent to which your essential story elements have come together by formulating a lot, if question. And, when you dream on deadline, you'll develop a new perspective on the constraints that make writing challenging but also enable you to turn your dreams into stories. Dream a little dream. I never came upon any of my discoveries through the process of rational thinking. Imagination is more important than knowledge. M-Albert Einstein When we dream, whether asleep or fully awake, we open ourselves to other worlds, and our dreams point us toward unexpected places, like a wardrobe that opens onto a magical land. And yet, we must dream with drafting in mind in order to make story possible. In our daily lives, we tell stories of fact and fiction for a wider audience than ever before. So there's no task more essential to us than dreaming, or the cultivation of ideas, a pursuit long venerated by the sages. Socrates reminded young Athenians that wisdom begins in wonder. Ralph Waldo Emerson might have been talking about dreaming in describing happiness as a butterfly which, when pursued, is always beyond our grasp, but which, if you sit down quietly, may light upon you. In other words, wanting to tell good stories means first acknowledging that it's part of your work to make time for quiet sitting, for wondering at the world, for dreaming. But don't confuse the first stage with some nebulous trance or another purely receptive realm. The dream stage calls for true discipline and not the knitted brow or other bodily tension that we falsely associate with discipline but a fusion of purpose with action. Worries will fill every available moment, if allowed. Don't yield to them. Do you long to create something of your own? Then make time to relax deeply into dream. Set your mind loose to roam, when you're stuck in traffic, for instance, or in the shower, cooking, or eating lunch at your desk. Let waves of ideas and images break over you. Every now and then, you'll connect with a sticky idea, the tightly coiled germ of a personally meaningful story poised to expand dramatically and dash not a blackbird, for instance, but Paul McCartney's blackbird, not just any alien but Steven Spielberg's E.T., not a room but Emma Donoghue's impregnable room, and not the 13th century Chinese emperor but Samuel Taylor Coleridge's Kablakan. Do you long to create something of your own? Then make time to relax deeply into dream. In 1797, Coleridge woke from an opium-laced dream M-itself influenced by some pleasure reading he'd done the night before M-and rushed to his desk. He managed to set down two to three hundred lines of his famed epic poem with a distinct recollection of the whole, before a visitor's interruption caused him to forget the remaining lines. In that visitor, we recognize the intrusion of critical judgment, which can undermine inspiration, when it comes into play too early, snipping the buds of flowers merely, because they have not yet bloomed. Dreaming calls for patience and trust. 
It offers abundant rewards and dash but don't look to it for rules or guidelines. According to theater lore, on making his exit following one night's performance, Lawrence Olivier strode directly into his dressing room and slammed the door. A friend knocked and said, Larry, why are you so upset? That was one of the great performances of your career. Yes, cried the actor, but I don't know how I did it. Olivier didn't need to know how. Neither do you. You only need to set out in the direction determined by your imagination. Move forward with a whole heart and a smooth brow, trusting that a guide will come forth to meet you. Your stickiest idea. Some ideas won't keep, something must be done about them. M-Alfred North Whitehead. Some ideas are difficult to remember, others are impossible to forget M-In a word, they stick. Only your stickiest idea will inspire you to complete the journey you've begun. Why? Plato wrote of Heraclitus's doctrine, no man steps into the same river twice. Just so, identity itself fluctuates like a river. As time passes and you keep changing, once dominant concerns become less important and then irrelevant. When tied to yesterday's preoccupations, even good ideas and plans fade away. But the idea that seizes your imagination and refuses to let go, the idea that matters to you on some deeper level and dash that sticky idea will hold your allegiance over time, and you'll draw energy from it. Just take a look around you, you can find evidence for stickiness in every great work of literature, art, architecture, or innovation. The books on your shelf, the painting on your wall, the soup in that can m all emerged from nothing, because they mattered to somebody, even when nobody else cared. And when you find your own sticky idea, it will cleave to you like a dedicated traveling companion, the ambassador of dream. But where will this idea come from? Your stickiest idea may creep in like a beggar long before it parades out as a king. Ultimately, your stickiest idea will emerge from only one source, you. That is, your particular life, your own unique point of view, whatever moves you, not only on one particular day but on most days. Perhaps you've already snared such an idea with the net of your imagination? By all means, embrace it. But don't expect others to immediately recognize an idea's brilliance just because you find it enthralling. As computing pioneer Howard Aiken once said, don't worry about people stealing your ideas. If your ideas are any good, you'll have to ram them down people's throats. Your stickiest idea may creep in like a beggar long before it parades out as a king. If you're still looking for an idea to move you, you'll have to generate many before finding even one that truly sticks. But the verb generate doesn't quite convey the delicate interaction between receptivity and agency, inspiration and association, reverie and analysis. The good news? As you dream toward drafting, you can work a kind of magic by engaging yourself in conversation, asking and answering questions about real or imagined worlds and the characters that populate them. It's worth noting that during those blissful moments, when we are fully absorbed in dream, we still ask such questions of ourselves, but they flow by too quickly for us to consciously register them. These questions, as well as the answers, will be specific to whatever event, individual, environment, or phenomenon intrigues you. So indulge your curiosity and, by all means, keep a list, even a notebook dedicated to the task. Berkeley College of Music professor Pat Patterson refers to some familiar questions as the writer's six best friends, who, what, where, when, why, how. They're a good place to start. As writers, we need to cultivate the stories within our sticky ideas. That's the work of dream. You need to ask questions, in part, because your idea may not initially suggest anything more specific than its own stickiness. That idea, in its most nascent form, might be an image that strikes you, a girl wearing a white dress with one blue stripe, stalking away from you across a field. It might be the smell of something sweet burning in an otherwise empty room or a ripple of laughter resounding in an underground train station. As writers, we need to cultivate the stories within our sticky ideas. That's the work of dream. If the present moment doesn't yield up any promising ideas, consider turning back to your personal history. Go through your computer files or the boxes in your attic, looking for images and articles you've saved. Find something, anything, that you labored to create and then held onto, whether a story or collage, a poem or pinhole camera. 
remind yourself of the time you spent on it, and then ask yourself, what made this stick? The answer may surprise you, and it will tell you something true about yourself. Novelist Hodgin told the Paris Review that he might never have finished the first book he began in 1988, and wouldn't actually complete for 12 more years, except that the idea stuck. I just couldn't get the story out of my head, he said, and I had to write to calm myself down. It's worth remembering that there's more than a measure of frustration in a sticky idea and it's a choice that can feel like a command. That said, even the stickiest idea will slip away if you expect it to send you to your keyboard or glue you to your chair. No idea can force you to draft, but your stickiest idea will offer you a good reason to do so, even as it requires courage and stamina to carry forward. Sometimes we write only to develop courage and stamina. It's enough. To reach the moon, you'll need to build a rocket. Even your stickiest idea may need months or years to incubate. By sticking with it, you'll prove to yourself just how much that idea matters. Objective, define your story. I am willing to go anywhere, anywhere, anywhere m-so long, as it's forward. m-david Livingstone. Once you've chanced upon a sticky idea, you may feel ready, even eager to draft, but it's only time to embark on the objective of this essential preparatory stage, define your story. How do you do so? By asking and answering key questions about plot, character, story world, setting, and theme. Such questions include. What will happen? What needs to happen first? What are the consequences? Who does what? To whom? Why? Where does the story take place? In other words, what is the story world? Detroit? 1970s Moscow? Another planet? What is the setting? Precisely where in the story world do pivotal and other events actually take place? How might the choice of story world and setting shape plot and character? What larger ideas or issues come into play through the story? These questions will help you root out the story within your sticky idea, if it hasn't yet revealed itself. You carry out this stage's objective, when you distinguish between three elements, the original idea, which marks an unforgettable beginning, the story you envision, which becomes a kind of platonic ideal that you'll have to struggle to manifest on the page, and the act of dreaming itself, a determined campaign that takes creativity as its compass. It's not enough to answer the above questions once. You'll need to rework them over time in order to make your story more effective. Pay attention to that word effective, because stories share a common purpose with expository writing and other works of art, to move us to believe, feel, think, and, in some instances, act. More concretely, when we write, we want to provoke and prolong our reader's desire to ask their own questions in order to resolve a mystery. For every story is a mystery story, and the mystery is, what's going to happen next? And why did it happen that way? Dream offers you the freedom to weigh the merits of competing alternatives, as you make global choices. Thankfully, any revisions you do in Dream will differ from those you do in later stages in a crucial way, you don't yet have a draft, so you won't have to do any redrafting. More than any of the stages that follow, Dream offers you the freedom to weigh the merits of competing alternatives, as you make the global choices that constitute story definition and design. Whether you're content to think and rethink, or feel the need to take copious notes, the answers you ultimately draft from will influence every paragraph, sentence, and word of your story in the making. Be advised, if you begin drafting before thinking through essential story elements, then you'll likely need to make overarching changes down the line. The more text already in place, whenever you make a change at the structural level, such as eliminating or taking on a major character or reversing a pivotal plot point, the more words you'll need to rewrite. Imagine your story, as a pool of water, if you throw a rock into that pool, it sends a ripple outward, the closer to the pool's center, the more ripples, the more ripples, the more revision. You'll never completely avoid development, the third stage, but devoting time and energy to dream will help you limit its scope. The questions around which this chapter revolves also define the key elements of story or narrative, which requires a central conflict enacted. Between two or more characters, set against one or more specific, meaningful locales. Conflict is the collision of desire, or will, with one or more obstacles. 
the protagonist wants something, but something else m usually another character, sometimes an aspect of her own character m blocks her from immediately achieving it. As John LeCare put it, the cat's app on the mat is not a story. The cat's app on the other cat's mat is a story. The more motivated your characters are to achieve meaningful goals, and the higher the stakes of success and failure, the more effective the story. For William Faulkner, story typically began with a character. Once he stands up on his feet and begins to move, he said, All I do is trot along behind him with a paper and pencil trying to keep up long enough to put down what he says and does. Even at the outset, you'll find it rewarding to approach your story from other angles by asking and answering questions on behalf of your characters. Who am I? What do I want? What's in my way? What do I do to get what I want? These questions and the answers you derive will remind you that each of your characters perceives and responds to shared events in a subtly or even radically different way. The more significant the character, the more their answers to the preceding questions will influence your plot. Biographical stories begin with characters' births and end with their deaths, but your story, whether fact or fiction, will likely cover only a slice of lives more fully, though privately, imagined by you. At the dream stage, go ahead and follow your characters into the past, consider their futures and ask yourself how they arrived there. Actors, also storytellers, know they can deliver more compelling performances by drawing upon earlier events that shaped their characters, even if these events are never explicitly revealed to the audience. You need to know more than you'll ever tell, and dream's the time to undertake that exploration. You're not yet drafting M-consciously setting out to tell a story from beginning to end M-but you may do a lot of writing. You're not yet drafting M-consciously setting out to tell a story from beginning to end M-but you may do a lot of writing, including general note-taking, outlining, and free associative mind-mapping, as well as dreaming in. Dialogue and composing a lot, if question, techniques we address in upcoming chapters. Kazuo Ishiguro told Bill Bryson in an interview that he needs about two years to plan a story, every time I've got another novel to write I just can't believe that I ever managed to write one before, he said. I do desperate things. I make notes ellipsis points points I quote am not the kind of writer who can put a sheet of paper into a typewriter and improvise. I have to know more or less the whole structure of the book beforehand. That's Ishiguro's process M-only by experimenting can you determine how familiar you need to be with your story, before you are truly prepared to draft. Regardless, the advance work you do here in Dream will double, as ballast to ground and support your story, in the same way that objects uncovered at a did or crime scene help archaeologists and forensic scientists solve their own mysteries. Professional investigators create stories about what happened in the distant or recent past, altering their narratives, as necessary with each new relic that comes to light. Similarly, when you dream and plan, you're anchoring your story in comparable artifacts images, fragments of dialogue, character biographies, notes on chronology and plot and their weight will keep you on course. As you dream, contemplate the multiple forms your story may assume, and take from them a fundamental lesson, commit yourself to the foundational ideas that underpin your story and not the phrasing that initially conveys them. In the words of graffiti from the streets of London, things slowly curve out of sight, until they are gone, afterwards only the curve remains. The words that first suggest scenes, description, or dialogue are often placeholders, enabling the curve, or story arc, they evoke to coalesce, as spirit m-and only later as substance. When you define your story, you give yourself the opportunity to make that story fully your own, before you have to concern yourself with expressing it in a way that others can fully understand and appreciate. We each dream in our own individual languages, and drafting will always be an act of translation. Get to know thyself. I always wanted to be somebody. Now I realize I should have been more specific. M-Lily Tomlin. In the dream stage, you need to look within in order to determine what stories you want to tell, and how you'll go about telling them. When it comes to how you tell stories, it's essential that you clearly distinguish between your method of working, what we call process, and your fundamental creative decisions about key elements of story and structure that are generally referred to as craft. 
process and craft each contribute to how we tell stories, but process makes craft possible. More concretely, craft will enable you to cultivate ideas, but only process can ensure that you actually do so. When you make discoveries about process at this stage m-when, where, and how you dream best m-you find ways to spend more productive time defining your story, and you give yourself a better chance to effectively articulate and bring together story world, setting, plot, character, and theme, the overall objective of craft. Mastery of craft can only emerge through process over time, but it originates in your earliest recognition that the ancient dictate know thyself describes a continuous practice rather than a single task that you can ever complete. Don't confuse this practice of self-awareness with self-absorption or self-consciousness. When self-absorbed, you become so preoccupied with your own internal monologue that you have trouble registering contrary signals from your environment. When self-conscious, you question and critique yourself to a degree that may compromise your sense of purpose. But when self-aware, you quietly observe your own thoughts and actions, gradually. Distinguishing what's natural from what's habitual and preparing yourself to make more deliberate choices, as you advance towards specific goals. In Zen in the Art of Archery, Eugen Harigel describes archery as a spiritual exercise and writes that fundamentally the marksman aims at himself and may even succeed in hitting himself. As you become more self-aware, you aim to inhabit the center of your actions, so that they become an extension of yourself. Move beyond what merely feels right to what delivers results. In Dream, we encourage you to internalize a cycle that supports the five stages. Self-reflection leads to experimentation, which yields up periodic discoveries, which in turn trigger new episodes of reflection and experimentation. The overall purpose? This cycle will help you move beyond what merely feels right to what delivers results. In this and other chapters, we formulated questions to help you begin a conversation with yourself M-1 composed of action as well as words M- that will ultimately transform both how and what you write. The following questions aim to help you get to know how you dream now. When and where do you frequently find yourself dreaming? What are you doing at the same time? Are you listening to music? Reading? Watching something? Moving around? Do you prefer to dream alone? If not, who's nearby doing what? In what form do ideas appear? As words? Images? Sounds? What do you do with these ideas? Do you record them? If so, how? The questions we pose throughout the book have no right answers, only those that work, for you. We urge you to periodically try out different ways of working, so that process becomes a means to liberation rather than a rigid commitment to habit.